Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to be talking for the next few weeks on the cross, on the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm calling it a red letter day, a red letter day, a red letter day. We've all had those special days that we knew were coming and we'd mark it or we'd circle it on the calendar. A red letter day got its name because usually a day of significance was marked in red or circled in red. A red letter day is that day that has significance in your life, something special, something that's going to change how you go forward. The cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest red letter day that ever happened. It was that day that made an eternal special day of significance that changed history and has changed our lives, I hope. That red-letter day is that Friday on a hill called Calvary when Jesus died on a cross. I want you to look at verse 33, Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary... There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, all of my life, and I've been preaching a long time, all my life, when I read that statement, I guess it was because what followed it, that I heard Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, and He meant the men that were casting lots for His garments. He meant the men who nailed Him to the tree. He meant the Jews that had cried out, Crucify, crucify. But all of a sudden, as I studied for this, God said, it includes us all. Father, forgive us them. You know why it includes us all? Because we don't know what we're doing. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. You know, we talk about around Easter time, we're always talking about and when we present the gospel, we say Jesus died, all that. But have you ever really let it come to you in reality? Why? Why the cross? Why the cross? You know, God is God. He's creator. Couldn't He have done it any way He wanted to? Why the cross? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the cross, that red-letter day. But I want to begin with this. You can't understand the cross without understanding the problem of sin. Now listen to me. I know when we think of sin, we're thinking of them. You will never understand the cross until you come face-to-face with your sin. My sin. 
You see, a lot of times what we've done, we've accepted the gospel as a prescription instead of a new creation, of a transformation. Because what we tend to see today is people are awful comfortable with sin. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not politically correct these days to talk about sin. No one's a sinner anymore. You know that? We don't sin, we make mistakes. I made a mistake. We like the word mistake. My bad. Made a mistake. See, a mistake is just an error in action or calculation or opinion or judgment caused by poor reasoning. And we all have poor reasoning. No, I just wasn't thinking. Oh, I didn't see. My mistake. You see, I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a mistaker. Now listen, how many times we said, my mistake, nobody's perfect. If everything I do wrong can be dumbed down to where it's just a mistake, then I'm no longer a sinner, I'm a mistaker. And nobody's perfect is the proverbial understatement of creation. Romans 3 verse 10. Paul quoting what was written aforetime in the Old Testament. There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who's come to knowledge. There's none who really knows. There's none who seeks for God. Because the only way you're going to understand is to know God. All have turned aside. Look at that word. All. Turned aside. Together they've become useless. Now, I've, I've known some useless people, haven't you? Have your daddy, did your daddy ever say, you're just useless? You can say, that's scriptural, Dad. <laughs> There's none who does good. There's not even one. If you don't understand that, somehow you just made a mistake. We all know Romans 3.23 because we were taught to tell it when you're witnessing to somebody else. Romans 3.23, you could probably all quote it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to look at it in the message. We've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. Note it says sinners, not mistakers. And notice it doesn't just say that I have sinned, but I have compiled this long, sorry record You see, if I'm a sinner, it says something about me, something fundamental 
Sin is not just what I've done. Sin is why I do it. And to understand why we do it, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. You see, in Genesis 2-7, God, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Man was created different from all the rest of creation. In other words, man was created to respond, to live in union with His Creator, to live by spirit Soul and body. Man was to function in response to God spiritually, to to display God's character through his soul, and and to do God's work in his activity on the earth through this body. And for man to be free to live in response to God, God gave him the choice to respond. And for there to be a choice, there was two trees in the garden. You know the story. But perhaps there's somebody here that really doesn't know it. In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life. And there was another tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God warned them, saying, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and notice this if you eat its fruit you are sure to die you know the rest of the story adam and eve ate their eyes were open and they made cover for their nakedness you remember they they put fig leaves together now listen to the, this is new to me so maybe it'll be new to you they took what was created and tried to cover their nakedness by their own performance. You realize man's been trying to do that ever since? We try to take what's created, what's out in the world, and we try to use it to cover our own inadequacy, our own insecurities, our own nakedness, our own inability to live up to it. And if that covering doesn't work, we look for another covering. It's always another performance. It's another way. It's another thing. Well, maybe this will work this time. And we live in the darkness of our wanderings because we've been blinded. But even in the beginning, God gave a prophetic act when God clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of an animal, with the skin of a lamb. And he said from the very beginning, the only way you can cover this kind of nakedness, this only way you can change this, is by the Creator doing something for you. And from the very beginning, God, already because of His great love for you and me, because He started out with a plan... And He didn't want to live in eternity without you. You know, we think we chose Him. I want you to know, before you were ever born, He already had a plan for you. 
in the Hebrew it says, where it says you are sure to die, in the Hebrew that literally means in dying you will die. In dying you will die. You see, when we think of death, we think of this body giving out the last breath and burying it in the ground. We call it dead. But God was saying something that I don't think we understand. In dying, in this dying that you will do when you eat of the tree, because they didn't die immediately physically. In this dying, you will die. And all of a sudden, I saw it was in their choice to believe the lie that they became energized by the liar. And as they walked in choosing for the rest of their lives, they lived out their death until they died physically. Now listen to me. We are literally destroying ourselves apart from God by our own choices to walk in evil. The wage of sin is... We don't, I don't, I'm not talking about hell someday. I'm talking about the wage of your choice to live in the lie is going to destroy you. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a bad idea. It is literally mainlining darkness and thinking it's going to give you light. It's another fig leaf to try to cover what can't be covered except by God. Okay, I'll go on. Romans 5.12, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Listen to me. When you came out of your mother's womb, you came out dying. Born into a world that's dying. And the only way to life is that God do something. The world is, this, listen to me, the world is not filled with people living. The world is filled with people dying. You've got to get that. They're dying. Now, I don't mean they're going to one day die. The world is filled with people making choices of darkness that literally are destroying themselves and everyone around them. If you don't understand that, you'll never value the cross. Because they'll just, they're just making mistakes. They just need better education. They just need to be trying harder. They just need to turn over a new leaf. Their physical death is just going to be the eventual result of what they don't have is life. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. When God moved His Spirit out of the spirit of man, let me tell you, 
you live by your spirit, whether you recognize it or not. But you are, your spirit, what's in your spirit, is energizing through your soul and through your body. When Adam and Eve chose not to believe God, but to believe the lie, the liar became the motivator of their life. The energizer. They hid. They blamed God. They blamed each other. We've been blaming the world ever since. Now, I mean, why did God let that happen? Where do you think that comes from? Hath God said? And the liar, the Pharisees, who were the most righteous people, they were religious to the hilt. They literally were good in the world's eyes. They were the best in the Jews' eyes. And Jesus says to them, You're of your father, the liar. You always do what your father says. And he was a liar from the beginning. We literally are living in the lies of the world. And it has blinded us to believe that we can make it any other way. We can make it apart from God. Because it's just a mistake. What does that look like? Because it's ruling our world. Now don't misunderstand. It, it's not ruling in the sense of ultimate rule because of something that happened on the cross. But I want to tell you something. This world, apart from Jesus Christ, is in darkness. But it doesn't have to stay there. So what does that look like? Ephesians 2, 1. You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit, notice that word, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom you also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others or just as all others. Boy, could I preach three sermons there. What's all this mean? Man is not just someone who's lost his way and needs a map, needs guidance back to the right path. He's dead in sin. He's controlled by the spirit of disobedience. And that word disobedience, in the, in the Greek, the word that's used for it means someone who is unwi- unwilling to be so persuaded. I don't care what you say, I don't believe it. I don't care what you say, I'm going to live the way I want to. I don't care what the Bible says, I, I don't believe the Bible, I'm not going to listen to you because you don't have anything to say that's going to change my mind. That's sons of disobedience. And the God of this world has blinded our eyes lest we see. Well, what's, what are we going to see? See the cross. Boy, this is where the cross of Jesus becomes really great news. 
You see, if I'm not a mistaker, but I'm a sinner, I'm dead, I'm unable to live the life that God intends me to live. If I'm not just needing help, I need, if I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. I need life. And that's where the cross comes in. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power, the authority of the devil, who had the power of death. And I'm going to say some things to you that I've never said to you before. Because I've just seen cross a little different than I've seen it before. See, when Jesus... See, the cross didn't start on that Friday. The cross started in Bethlehem. When Jesus came to be flesh. For 43... Excuse me, for 43... For 33 years, Jesus entered into Adam's fallen world. But he steadfastly refused to fall for it. For 33 years, he fought moment by moment, blow by blow, hammering fallen Adamic existence to show the world what a real human being in relationship with the Father looked like. And the fall of Adam was met by the eternal Word of God, and by that, the eternal plan of God. What He said in Genesis... He's fulfilling in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is literally entering into our fallen world and yet not falling for it. And because He didn't fall for it, He could pay for it. The wage of sin is... Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless. Say it again. When we were without hope, without help. When we were utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us mistakers. Sinners. Now, even people would die for an upright person, and some might even perhaps die for a person who was especially good. But look at this next verse. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Here's the, If I can get anything across to you this morning, I want to get this across. God's not mad. He loves you. Does he hate sin? Absolutely. But he loves you.
He loves you so much. He wanted to show it so bad that Jesus said, let me go. And the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as the only begotten of God. And for 33 years, Jesus lived right in the middle of Adam's fall. And didn't fall for it. And the fallen ones take this son of righteousness. And in our darkness we cry out, crucify him. Kill him. Put out the light. We'll do it our way. And when we were utterly helpless... Christ submitted to the love of the Father for us. On the cross, you've got to hear this. God was saying, I did not create you to perish in the darkness. Not you. Not you, Brandon. Not you. Not any of you. I didn't create you to perish in darkness. I created you to be with me. To share in this life for all eternity. And on the cross, God said no to sin. You'll have them no more. On the cross through His Son, He paid the price Himself for His great love for us. God was saying the fall must be undone. Human existence and broken, estranged and perverted mankind living in darkness must be radically transformed and systematically recreated and brought back into right relationship with the Father. Jesus Christ died because the Father would not forsake us. Because the Father had a plan for us that He would not abandon. Because the love of the Father for us is endless and unflinching. Now, I read Romans 3.23 while ago to you. Let's look at it again, Romans 3.23, but let's finish the sentence. Since we compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we were utterly incapable of living this glorious life which God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of the sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He didn't did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Look at the next. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Christ didn't die just to set you free from, who, from what you've done. 
He didn't die to overlook your mistakes. He died to set you free from who you were. God made a way for you to be made alive, a new creation born from above. It's not about us changing our behavior, but it's about Him changing our life. Not just so you can act different, but so you can be different. How is it? Pastor Chris read it for our communion. 1 Peter 2.24 He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds you were healed. Pictures bigger than you think. On the cross, Jesus connected all the way back to Adam and Eve hiding in fear. He took on the original sin with the original lie and all of its darkness. Jesus plunged himself into the deepest abyss of human alienation, in the swamp of darkness and human brokenness and discord. He baptized, immersed himself in the waters of Adam's fall. And when Jesus died, the fall of Adam died with him. He took it all. That we might be dead to sin and live up to His rightness. By His wounds, you all, y'all, y'all are healed. Jesus didn't go to the cross to change God. Jesus went to the cross to change us. You still at Luke 23? Look at verse 44. By this time it was noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now, to understand what that's saying, there was a six-inch curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, which was a square. And inside the holy of holies was the the bread, the, the lampstands, but the center was the mercy seat, where once a year the high priest would go in and he would offer the blood of a spotless lamb on the mercy seat, the covering. And it would atone to make the people again right with God for another year. From the time of Moses, this curtain had been the symbol of the separation, the alienation between a holy God, even though a chosen people still a holy God and a created person. Adam hiding 
Don't you hear? In the garden, Adam hid. God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. Man has been trying to hide in his lies ever since. God's never been hiding from us. And on the day that Jesus died, that six-inch curtain, that (laughs) instead of it being something that marked off the holy, it became something that hid me. That I could live in my life for another year. That I could live never made right. That I could live hiding in my sin. Always wondering what it would have been like on the other side. Knowing I couldn't enter in. And so I lived in the shadows of my fears. And on the day that Jesus died, when darkness covered the earth... From top to bottom, God opened the way into His presence. I don't have to hide anymore. I'm invited in. The mercy seat's for me. I'm invited in. Sin no longer can stand between me and God because it's paid in full. My fears has been drowned in the love of God. And I'm overwhelmed in His goodness. I'm a new creation. Enter in. Folks, it didn't tear so God could get out. It tore so you could get in. Stop hiding. Enter in. That was a red letter day. The day everything changed. The question is, have you? One thing. You say, preacher, how do I how do I enter in? I asked the Lord, Lord, how do I tell them? They enter in. And the Lord says, if they can see it, they can receive it. If you can see it, He took your sin. He took your failure. He took your inability. If you can see it, you can have it. I said, okay, God, but then what do they do? You can't do anything. I've done it. And here's what he said. Say thank you. You realize when you say thank you, it's because somebody's given you something? Somebody served you? You see, thank you acknowledges what's been done. Thank you acknowledges what's been given. Thank you is all that you can do to say, I I know what it is and I receive it. I wonder this morning, could we tell God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And so tomorrow when I blow it, thank you. And when I fear, thank you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, tear the curtain off of our blindness. Let us see. Make it so. Today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 